This is CliffCentral.com. A very, very hearty welcome to all our special listeners, both in South Africa and around what Carl Sagan would have dubbed the pale blue dot. I think it's awesome to be here today uh, at cliffcentral.com and you are listening to Professor David Block and we're going to be looking up in wonder as we always do each week. We look up in wonder at the awe, at the majesty, at the grandeur, at the splendor of our cosmos above. But what is so interesting is that the cosmos not only exists in the macrocosm, the large, the big, the inextricably large, but as Blaise Pascal once said, the heart has its reasons that reason knows not of. And so today, we're going to be taking a very special walk down memory lane. And our title today, Duncan, is entitled Astronomy and Poetry. How does that grab you, Duncan, from the very big to what's in the heart and in the head? Astronomy and Poetry. Everything is connected, Professor. Looking oh, forward. I love that. Uh, you see, Duncan just uh, spurs me on. Everything is connected. So if you want to reach us in studio, you dial 0861-555-189. That's 0861-555-189. The Twitter handle at cliffcentral.com. Facebook, Cliff Central. But the most popular way of reaching us is WeChat. And the WeChat ID is Cliff Central. My Twitter handle is at Starry Galaxy Man. My webpage is www.davidblock, one word, .co.za. Now, today we have very special guests with us. Uh, in particular, we have uh, a professor who's driven all the way from Potchestroom to be with us here today. And it's a tremendous joy and a singular honor to welcome you, Helena Deploy, professor at the um, Northwest University, to uh, our studios here in Ravonia. It really is a tremendous joy to have you with us. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. And also, we jo- we're joined by a dear friend of mine. We go back many, many years, Duncan, when I had brown hair, not gray hair. And uh, <laughs> and so his name is Devet Ferreira. And Devet, we're just thrilled to also have you on board at short notice, but it's good to have you on board. Thank you, David. Great honor to yes. be here. So today, um, our theme is entitled Astronomy and Poetry. A few years ago, just to set this theme, but a few years ago, Duncan, I learned of a professor, T.T. Kluter, and somebody told me that he wrote the most incredible poetry uh, linking the big with the small, and that he was very, very interested in astronomy. And so eventually, I reached... now. Oh, yes, I remember. 
I reached Teresa, is it Papenpus, Helena? Yes, right. And she recommended that I contact you, and I then met the legendary Titi Klutter, who has now passed on at the age of 91. But I would say that there's no greater living expert on this planet in his poetry, in the poetry and in the legacy of the giant Titi Klutter than Helena Duploy. She certainly held in the absolute highest esteem by the late uh, Titi Klutter himself, I remember before she stepped into his lounge, he was chatting to me, and it was clearly obvious to me just the esteem in which he held uh, Professor Duploy. And in fact, just before he died, he invited me to lunch, and he said, please join Helner and I for lunch or for dinner. I still have that WhatsApp. So here was a legendary giant, and I'd like you, Helner, to please uh, commence the journey down space and down time of perhaps one of your favorite poems of his, which you have translated into English. But firstly, how did you meet Titi Kluter? <clears throat> yes, um, I did not meet him as a, an undergraduate student. Yes. When, when I studied in Poch, he was in for, for five years in Port Elizabeth. Yes. But when I started with my doctoral studies... I went to see him because he was professor of what we call in Afrikaans Literatuurwetenskap, which is actually the theory and philosophy of literature. Mm -hmm. And that was more my interest. Yes. So he was actually the promoter of my, um, of my PhD, uh, my PhD. Well, I got to delit, uh, at that time. That was what you, what you, what you got. And for what the was work. that on? Uh, well, actually it was on narrative theory. What, I what, see. what we call narratology. Yes. It was not about poetry. <laughs> I see. Okay. And what yeah. was your first impressions of the giant Titi Kluter himself? I mean, he was obviously yeah. a large man, a towering man. What impressed me was his physical physique and yet his gentle spirit. What attracted you to the giant um, Titi Kluter? Yes, um, I think two things. Um, the first is that he, he was um, he's really a very warm and friendly person. He was, he, wasn't he? Yeah, he always got along excellently with with the students. He was a very charismatic uh, mm -hmm. lecturer. Yes. Uh, but then, on the other hand, I think what attracted me as well was his uh, his clarity of mind, his, um, his questing spirit. Yes. You know, one of his volumes of poetry is called um, Holy Curiosity. Oh, which wonderful. Is, That's beautiful. Uh, Holy yeah. Curiosity. And I think the con he got the concept from Einstein. Mm. And uh, and he and I think that's what kept him going, mm. uh, because he never thought he was going to get this old, mm. but that questing spirit kept him going. Mm. Yeah. But of course, what's very interesting, isn't it, Devet, is that holy curiosity. You've got the curiosity, but in a sense, you know. Einstein is reported to have said, you know, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are details. The sort of endeavor that I'm involved in as a professor of astronomy and applied maths is a holy vocation. It's dealing with the book of nature. Uh, and in your studies, does that also resonate with what you've dis discovered and discussed in your, f um, in your field? Yes, I think, um, and well, well, I, I'm thinking about what you did about with galaxies and so. Yes. And the creativity it, fa um, it, it yes. took. Yes. And I'm always reminded, um, I've met, 
many other astronomers besides you, but uh, you are really given to the creativity aspect of it. Yes, I love that. And you, you love the graphical mm-hmm. and the the almost poetical aspect of yes, your astronomy. Yes, yes. Um, I think people don't think first of all, yes. except that you were fellow of the Royal Society at what, 17? <laughs> but Nine, people don't yeah. think of you mm-hmm. as a man of mathematics mm-hmm. first, even though mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. They think of you in a creative way and mm-hmm. with gra- graphics and and so, yes, I, I fully agree with mm-hmm. you. Uh, Helena, of course, you know, people would put science in one department and poetry and art and literature in another department. But I like to marry them, as Devetta said. I just love, I think creativity is awesome. I think it's just so wonderful, you know, to be delved into, you know, relativistic astrophysics on the one hand and the mathematics of the universe and the birth of galaxies and the death of galaxies and so on. And then on the other hand, to be thinking about the broken in heart and Pascal's great, you know, emphasis on the heart, having a it's reasons which reason knows not of. Uh, don't you long for the day when more people like T.T. Clutter would write about the inextricable marriage between the sciences and the arts? Yeah, I think that is, that is a very wonderful thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that Clutter was actually one of the people who not only professed that, but actually um, did that. You know, he practiced that. Uh, the, this whole thing of, of bringing um, scientific knowledge into his poetry yes. and presenting it mm. in a creative and lovely way because yes. poetry um, poetry has the ability because of the way uh, uh, in which language is used in poetry mm-hmm. to sort of expand uh, a meaning. Right. You don't have a sort of a scientific one-to-one relation between right. words there's a, there's and meanings. There's an openness, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, it, it sort of it, mm-hmm. it, it knocks it open, mm-hmm. actually. And telescopes it, you know. It, it becomes oh, like, there yeah. we go, there we go. Yeah. Now you're speaking uh, my language, Helen. Yeah. Yes. And uh, that is actually oh, what he did. Oh, I love that. It telescopes it, listeners. Yeah. yeah. You yes. know, his, his last book um, that was published... Uh, uh, not not his last book of poetry, but a, a book of prose is called "The Other One Is Me" or "The Other One Is Myself," uh-huh. and that I would actually call that his magnum opus. Really, tell me about that book. Um, tell us about that yeah, book. Yeah, and what he did it's it's a it's a marvelous book. I can't really put it into a genre. Yes, because he took autobiographical details from his own life, mm-hmm. but then he philosophizes ab- about it about that issue. Scientifically, mm-hmm. and and he puts all his knowledge, mm-hmm. his scientific knowledge, his psychological knowledge, all these things he he integrated it all in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, at this point in time, it's only available in Afrikaans. You know. If so we, now it says the other Ian is ek. So who's the other one? I mean, the the other one is me. Yeah. But who's the other one? If you say uh, the other Ian, that that actually means that we are all one. I see. Uh, everything is connected, like he said. I just see, now. as Duncan said, everything yeah. is connected. So I'd love you. I mean, I just adored. There was, I was invited, listeners, to now listen to this. This is just, you know, there's a society called the, is it the Maria van Riebeck Club or the? Yeah. Is it? Is yeah, that right? I think so. And so I was invited to speak, Duncan, to the Marias. You must remember this. Here's this professor, gray hair. 
not much money in the bank. And here come these Mercedes Benz and just, you know, ladies dripping in jewelry and they just, you know, and it's just was so awesome. And so I'm sitting at the main table because I'm the speaker and I put up a poem and I said, who wrote this poem? Now, I mean, if anybody should know, it's the Maria's. And so I put up a poem called Eight Fra Rup. And I put it up and I read it. And not one person knew it was written by Titi Kluter. But this poem really grabbed my attention. And I would love you to read it perhaps in Afrikaans and in English. Because it's just, that is to me, just one of the gems of his writings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, actually... Um I don't have the Afrikaans version here now. Okay. Um, but I can read the English Please translation. Um, I translated the eight fra roep, yes. which eight fra means when you question somebody. Okay, questioning. Uh, but yes. it is that is it's more intense than just asking. Yes. And then roep is of course an exclamation or calling out. Like almost an echo or calling out. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I translated that as. Questioning exclamation. Wonderful. Oh, I, I think that's awesome, don't you, Duncan? Absolutely. Questioning, but it's more than questioning. Questioning with a resonating note. Questioning with a question mark. Yes. Yeah. Exclamation. Wonderful. Yeah. And it goes like this. <clears throat> you cast forth planets and displace galaxies. What does leprosy mean to you or an aching pinky before your almighty power? You measure light years and remember eternity. You must indeed also know about me and reckon with me. You are indeed also mindful of me. You know, I just love that. Uh, let me just uh, hold that in my hands, if I may, please, because I just think that's just an awesome translation. I, of course, have read it in Afrikaans, and uh, it really is just so amazing. But, David, what strikes you about this ending? Uh, you know, you also, you are, um, yes, you are indeed also so mindful of me. Uh, I mean, isn't that a beautiful, you know, you've got the juxtaposition of casting forth the planets, displacing the galaxies, then bringing in leprosy. What does this say to your heart, David? Well, it goes to the humanity of it. and uh, Yes, it does, doesn't it? It starts with the largest scale and then goes to the smallest and mm-hmm. thus juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, uh, can I ask, um, Elna, what do you, what's the, um, the significance of leprosy there? Yes, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I think it has to do, um, it is a, a physical illness, but it is also the illness with a very a bad stigma. Mm. It it was it used to be traditionally it you it, it was seen as something that was incurable. Mm-hmm. And it was a stigma too. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and you you were isolated. I mean, so that is actually almost as if it's the worst illness that you that you can have. Okay. Uh, and even you know, then you oh, think, yes, yes, yeah, yes. you know, what what uh, what can this this is so small, you know, if 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 I have this, I am so small, and I have this, and very, I'm an outcast. Yes, I'm an, and outcast. an outcast. I think that is the thing. But mm. then God will also know about you. Mm. So, and in other words, there's an David, What I read into this is, and Helena can correct us because I'm not a professor of um, this at all. I'm a professor of astronomy and applied mathematics and relativistic. Astrophysics and so on, but um, David, I think that, and you can ask more, please, 
is that, you know, in other words, God who casts forth the galaxies and the stars and the planets, you know, he's aware of the leper. Does this not go to the heart of the Gospels? Is that, you know, who touched me? Um, you know, the, the outcasts being included. I think that's an incredible way of putting it. Yes, certainly. And uh, I think, um, if I might ask, we, we kind of hit the gro- ground running here. It's a very fascinating angle from going to the universe and all that. And, yes. But, Helena, um, who, um, if people wonder there, who was this Titi Kluter? Yes. As a person. Yes. Who, who was he? Pa- paint a picture like yes. uh, Stephen Hawking wrote a brief history of time. So, a brief history of Titi Kluter. How would you describe the man, the, the, the presence? Yeah, um, he had an exceptional life. Actually, <clears throat> he he always thought he was very um, humble about his beginnings. He was bought in the Frederford Dome mm-hmm. on on a farm of very ordinary parents. And of course, he wrote a poem about that. And that that's where yeah. the, that's where the, the 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 comet or the meteorite hit. That's right. Billions of years ago. Yes. And and uh, later on, when he sort of rethought that, he he wrote this a lovely poem, "Coming Home." Okay, can I read that? Yes, of course you may. Because it it says. Yeah, I think a, it's it lovely. It's, it paints a picture for our listeners of yeah. of his origins. He says, "I grew up." On a seemingly God-forsaken fortress of peace, hmm. a Freda fort, I must have known from birth what later on I would discover, that I was living on the dome of a miracle. That anybody could have thought that it was not exceptional, exceptional, that the hills were there merely for climbing and the water of the Vol merely for swimming and catching yellowfish. Forgive the cliché. In this crescent of hills curved like rippling water around a granite bubble from west to east, there up to this day the Creator is visibly near, having poked the place in times earlier than early with an enormous finger. And, and I think, David, once again, this is this beauty of the large and the small. Mm. Here you have Freda Fort, mm. right where we live, mm. one of the largest impact craters on Earth. Right. And this uh, humanity coming in yeah. there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> but when um, uh, he had finished his, uh, his uh, high school uh, training. So that was in Krugersdorp, where we come from, Duncan. Yeah. yeah. You know, where the two of us are coming from Krugersdorp, yeah. Harley City. That's where he, where he matriculated. And then he went to Pretoria University to study theology. But at the end of his first year, he contracted polio. Mm-hmm. And he had to spend the next two years in bed. Mm-hmm. And he was. The next two years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and he was actually quite handicapped after that. You know, it affected his back mm-hmm. and his legs, and he walked with great difficulty. Hmm. When he resumed his studies in, I think, 1945, uh, he went to university in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. But it became better, and he could sort of, you know, move about. Mm. Um, and then, of course, he studied literature and he went to the Netherlands where he uh, uh, did his doctoral studies under Van Wyk Low. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he became a um, professor of, of Afrikaans literature and literary theory. Mm-hmm. And he was writing all the time. But he said he was in awe of the great figures of Afrikaans literature, mm-hmm. N.P. van Weyklo mm-hmm. and D. Opperman. Mm-hmm. And he thought, well, what could I, you know, what can I contribute? Sure. Um, but because of the polio, he would, in cycles of more or less five or six years, he would become very ill with a sort of a, a, a rheumatism 
like illness, you know, no, no, like affecting all the arthritis, yes. yeah, with all the nerve ends being inflamed oh, and yes, so yes, on, yes, and it's, it's very like painful. Start, yes. Yeah, and then his wife once said to him, you know. And he, he was very despondent mm-hmm. And he thought he wasn't going to get mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. And his wife said, no, what am I going to do With all those drawers full of poetry mm. Please take some of those poems mm. And uh, edit them You know, Give mm. them a final editing mm. So that they can be published mm. And when that manuscript Was uh, reviewed by, by Dear Opperman mm. He called it Food for Kings mm. and, and I mean the rest is history mm. Because in the mm. end he Published ten volumes of poetry. Was it ten in total? Yes. Ten, and they're mm-hmm. very thick. They're not these very slim little mm-hmm. volumes of Absolutely. poetry. They're sort mm-hmm. of substantial ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. And can you tell me? I mean, apart from the students whose hearts he touched deeply, did he did he touch the minds of sort of some of the great thinkers, say in science as well, say in Potsdam and further afield? Because I'm so interested in the science art connection, and just like his yeah. poetry appealed to me so much because of that. Are you aware that this has, or is it is it more limited because he's Afrikaans? His poetry is limited to Afrikaans in a sense, and is only now recently being translated more into English. Yeah. Um, well, he had a lot of contact with with his colleagues on on campus. Yes. And his one son uh, is also a, um, a scientist. I see. Um, and and I, I know that another friend of ours, who is at this point in time the the dean of the faculty of of um, um, Science at, yes. at our university yes. He remembers since they were young They had these conversations and arguments With him, you know, ab- about science Yes yeah. Well, you know, it's just so interesting, Duncan I must read you something and then you can tell me Duncan, he opened this book The legendary Titi Kluter Opened this book And he said to me, Prof Can you please tell me who wrote these words So this is from one of his Volumes and um, so I'll just read it to you, Duncan, and yep. you can tell me if any names spring to mind. I gave one or two guesses, but I certainly didn't know. It reads, and I quote: "I sincerely believe that the universe is as vast as it is, so that we might indeed search for its creator." <laughs> Professor, I don't know who comes up to mind. I'm thinking maybe a painter. Is it a painter? It wrote? could be. Who would you think, Van Gogh? Or? Mm, uh, it must be Van Gogh. You think? Could it be the same guy who said uh, the mind is an empty vessel? Not ah, that is Plutarch. <laughs> that was Plutarch. <laughs> Wonderful. See, I'm sitting next to a legend here in his own right, Duncan. Plutarch said, "The mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to, to be, be lit, lit up." Oh, yes, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lit. Well, Duncan, you tell the listeners who wrote this. Oh, <laughs> you wrote this, Professor. <laughs> I don't remember that, but he chuckled so hard. Why don't you tell the listeners about how he chuckled? I mean, this was for me one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Yeah, he enjoyed it so much, you know, that he could say, well, you wrote that. <laughs> Just read it again, please, Professor. Please. You wanted me to read it again, please. with pleasure. But I didn't even know that I'd written it. I have written it, of course, in um, one of my books. But I suppose it's a question that us profs write and write and write, and we forget what we said. Uh, but, Devette, you'll remember my book, Our Universe, Accident or Design, yes? Yes, yes. And there were two Nobel Prize winners who wrote the preface and it reads, I sincerely believe, well, 
Yes. I'll let the vet read it. I shouldn't be reading my own. <laughs> I shouldn't be reading my own poetry. So. Okay. Um, let's watch, see what's happening here. I sincerely believe that the universe, as vast as it is, so that we might indeed search for its creator. Hmm. Hmm. Sorry, I, I left out the is. Is as vast as it is. So that we might indeed yes. search for uh, it is. It's just this this juxtaposition between the very very big and the very very small. But then, hell now, over um, just a brief chat before we uh, c- came on air, you were telling me of a wonderful poem that he wrote, which was describing a woman by means of a line. I found that very interesting. Um, it's a whole poem, listeners, and what he's actually gone and done is he's actually describing a woman but in terms of line or linear form uh, which is very very hard to do because as you know when you're drawing linearly you're drawing say in a two-dimensional plane uh, and here he's trying to describe a three-dimensional object imagine describing your beloved Duncan in terms of a line that's hard to do yes Definitely, because uh, there's not there's nothing much more to your line. It's just straight. That's right. I mean, you would say so. You would say there's a pencil and there's a line, and it's there's nothing more to it. But it's absolutely just straight. And yet, this legendary giant T.T. Clutter actually juxtaposed. I mean, that's why I've called today's crossing astronomy and poetry because he was just so immersed in the depths of cosmic space and of cosmic time and yet he was immersed in humanity and that's what I find so fascinating. Why don't you read us some stanzas please, Helena, of that poem. Alright, the the poem is called Silhouette of Beatrice And that is of course the Beatrice Who was the uh, idealized Beloved of of Dante Dante, And uh, when when They entered in the third book When they enter the heavens They see that all Shapes and uh, Forms are round and rounded And curved Mm -hmm. So the whole poem is actually about The curve and Mm -hmm. it goes like this Frontally from the forehead The curve slips into the refined tilt of the tip of the nose Turns back and up again softly into the arching upper lip With a wavelet swell the lower lip dives deeply back To the dimpled chin and the rounded jaw Hmm. An urn is the throat Languidly from there the chest reaches out to the delicate tip and turns inward over the belly, mm. alluring and shy. The line sweeps down the long thigh in a gentle curve that slowly stretches and folds mm. into the soft orb of the knee, moves back and becomes the elongated shin, sloping earthwards in the arched bridge of the foot. Mm. I just think, I mean, Duncan, when you... When you listen to those words, don't you see the foot in front of you? Don't you see the nose? Don't you see the chin? Don't you see the neck? I mean, it's extraordinary when you think of it, the power of the word, is it not? Great imagery there, Professor. Oh, there you go. That's that's my language. Great, great imagery there. David, what strikes you about that poem? Because, of course, you're a great follower of Dante and lover of Dante's work, too. Yes, I just um, just the way he studied him and... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, just it's just simple and beautiful. 
Yes. It just takes together everything. But I think what's so interesting, and I mean, this is really why I suppose I found such a resonance with him. I just wish I had more time to have spent with him. But the point was that there was always the humanity. I mean, I suppose that that's what's, as you know from my many lectures, is that we study the universe of the large, but then through the anthropic principle, we study the universe of the very small and humanity and the fine tunings of the universe. And he sees a very beautiful, deep harmony between the scientific universe and between, you know, emotion and the heart and feeling and depth and wonder and awe and majesty and so forth. And I, I, I think he's quite unique in that respect of uh, bringing this out. Hell no. Yes, I, I can only answer by reading another poem. Please do. Um, the poem is called About Him and Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes like this. He who extends the heavens and hides suns behind suns mm-hmm. in vast spaces that dwarf the earth, who stirs the seas with his exciting feet mm-hmm. and peeps into mountains and the chambers of the south, he curved the heavens and the earth thinking about me and the blended colors in my encompassing far-reaching eye. He created an enormous glory from which from the soil to the dome can be accommodated within the small resonant cavity of my mouth. Mm. I must congratulate you for that exceptional translation. And I just want to reread it again for myself. And I know the listeners will just love it too. I think Helena just read it so beautifully. But I'll just read one or two little stanzas. He who extends. I mean, you've got the sweeping, the vast. He who extends the heavens and hides suns by suns. The starry vaults of the Via Lactea or the Milky Way. But let me put words into his. He who extends the heavens and hides suns by Behind suns in vast spaces that dwarf the earth, who stirs the seas with his exciting feet and peeps into mountains and the chambers of the south, he curved the heavens and the earth thinking about me. I think one's got such a beautiful juxtaposition there of Einstein's mind, really. Uh, you know, he's not speaking of the heavens being flat as in the essay, mm. possible in an Aristotelian sense, but he's thinking, Devet, of the heavens as being curved. Uh, I think that's a very nice little peep, as it were, mm. not only into the giant mind of T.T. Clutter, but also a little peep into uh, what Einstein had to say about the heavens. Yes, I definitely think next time you talk about general relativity to your class, you should talk about the curved heavens from that poem there. Well, I just think it's so yeah. beautiful that, in other words, the cosmos is made for a purpose. Uh, Helena, tell me, did T.T. Clutter always see that? To, to him was the snowflake one of purpose, was, uh, you know, the tiny little daisy or cosmos. I don't know which flower you have in Potchestrum that's particularly beautiful, but I know here we have the cosmos flowers. Uh, was, was that part and parcel of Titi Kluter? Yeah, um, I, I think the whole idea of relations between things or even among Things. And you either have that in the sense of, an, of a correspondence that the small thing also looks like the big yes, thing. Yes, I noticed that. And then on the other hand, the juxtaposition mm-hmm. that you can sort of contrast these things with, with one another. Yes. Um, and, and you just find it in, in 
almost in all his poems. You know, there's another one which was translated beautifully by, by Michiel Haynes. Mm. Uh, and and it's about um, he describes himself sitting in his garden writing a letter to yes. somebody for a yes. birthday, and it goes like this: yes. I'm sitting here in the garden writing to you. How festive the everyday can be! Yes, the trees stand sheltering around me. There are lilies in the ponds. Yes, lovely little weaver wonder workers build nests right in front of me over the water. How yes. very small! Can what's festive be? Yes. But then he, he goes on and it becomes more and more and he talks about the sun. Yes. Uh, he says, even though the sun, like us, uh-huh. has passed his middle years. Yes. You know? And so always this, the smallness, the locality of I am being here. Yes. But I am in contact with what is very large Wonderful. and I am part of this bigness. I think that's beautiful, this interconnectedness. So I'm just looking on Wiki. Duncan's brought up. Duncan's my right hand man, listeners, as you know. And so I'm just looking at some of the prizes is what I mean it's quite extraordinary in 1980 the Ingrid Jonker prize for poesy uh, then he wins the Hofmeyer prize for poetry then in 1983 the Louis Late prize the CNA prize uh, then the Hofmeyer Prize again in 1986. It just goes on and on. The Herzog Prize for poetry. But I want to see that uh, question. And then the Andrew Mary Prize, of course. Duncan, there was a question on WeChat, um, which came up. Oh, thank you. So, Nathan, a hearty welcome to you. We always enjoy and feast upon people like yourselves, true jewels who follow our... Uh, feed so faithfully. You're just a great guy, Duncan. Yeah. Nathan yeah, and Duncan. <laughs> now, Nathan says, beautiful poems. Sad that we don't learn about local great poets at school. Majestic poetry. Prof, what do you think it was trying, what do you think he was trying to achieve globally? In all of his writings. Well, I'll give you my thoughts, but you know, really, I have to stand, I have to say today that I'm standing on the giant shoulders of Heinlein Deploy because this is her domain totally. I mean, I'm just a tremendous admirer of T.T. Kluge. But, um, Helena, how would you answer that, Prof? What do you think uh, T.T. was trying to achieve in his writings? What was the uh, reason for these, this, this poetry? Um, I think he wanted to show that there are grand concepts, mm-hmm. m- metaphysical uh, ideas which underlie the existence of human beings. Mm-hmm. But I think he saw his task as trying to put that into language. Mm-hmm. You know, that resonant cavity of his mouth it brings it back to language what can you do with you know with it in language mm. because language communicates well across time across many boundaries well of course if it's translated mm-hmm. um, but I think he wanted to understand uh, what lies beneath the surface of what we see in our lives mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so interesting you know if you had to 
perhaps ask me, Nathan, in general, I suppose I see people living behind worlds of masks, don't I, Duncan? All the time. All the time. People who are not really perhaps aware of the grand concepts and people who are perhaps being too narrow-minded in their thought processes and uh, neurophysiological processing. But uh, I think Titi Klutu was a man who, especially in his last book, that one you've just mentioned, um, Helner, has tried to unmask. If we, In a sense, I, I did not say this um, in an irreligious sense, but he tries to almost unmask, uh, not God himself, because that is impossible, he tries to unmask the mystery behind us all and tries to get us to peak perhaps as in Psalm 8 and in Psalm 19 the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words he's trying perhaps by means of his poetry to unmask the greater mystery. Would that be correct Helner? Yeah I think so. I think he wanted to make people aware of mm-hmm. this uh, of the wonder um, that 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 is in all things. Mm. The smallest thing, mm. the little birds um, the smallest flower, a mm. grain of sand, mm. but also the cosmos. Mm. Now, of course, you know, one thing that just crossed my mind is that um, if you, Wiki or Google or whatever you need to do, uh, Kepler Snowflake, then you'll see that Kepler, of course, wrote a very famous book on the treatise of the snowflake. And the story mm. is that um, Kepler was walking on across a bridge in Prague, and uh, a little snowflake fell on his coat. It was very cold. It was wintertime near Christmas. And he wrote, um, he didn't write a poem about the poet of the snowflake, but he actually wrote a beautiful book, a treatise. Yes, there we are. Um, it's called, that's right, On the Six-Cornered Snowflake, um, the work of Kepler. And it's it's a classic. I mean, now, I know that Titi Kluter also was intrigued by snowflakes, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I remember the last time that I asked him to come and talk to the uh, honors students. Mm-hmm. He was then sort of newly obsessed by w- something that's got six corners, mm-hmm. and he brought the most beautiful uh, PowerPoint pictures along, which he showed to the students. And he said, "Well, for instance, um, when when um, in a beehive, mm-hmm. you can't have a square." Mm-hmm, because true. it would it would sort of drop out, mm-hmm, of, you know, and mm-hmm. you can't have an tri- a triangle because it mm-hmm. can't keep its content. Mm-hmm. But if you have the 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 hexa hexagon, yeah, with with the six six sides and so mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. that can sort of hold the honey. Mm-hmm. And then he had a whole series of other pictures mm-hmm. of how many things. Um, Depend on that principle of six flowers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stems, and you and know, and he had all so these yes. all these visual things. Yes, that was something that I mm-hmm. admired him for so tremendously because I've always asked him to come and talk to the students, and very mm-hmm. often we also had him at the uh, in in the courses for the students for creative writing, mm. and he would always prepare meticulously mm. and come with. A whole PowerPoint thing with lots of information oh, really? and a well structured lecture you know mm. it was he he was really mm. uh, and uh, he was a great intellectual mm. you know I just got in front of me I'm reminded of Kepler's words nix Latin for nothing and Kepler n- never ever considered the snowflake 
to be nothing. He didn't even consider the smallest particle of dust to be nothing. He said, no, there is just such mystery and awe. And uh, there's actually an interesting story, you know, Duncan, because his patron wasn't paying him too well or forgot to pay him, forgot to pay Kepler. And so Kepler... Uh, worked as imperial astronomer, of course, for Emperor Rudolf II, and, he, and the emperor had other things on his mind and forgot to pay him. And so the best gift Kepler could give him for Christmas was this lecture. It's an incredible book to um, actually peruse. But we are paying homage and tribute to the legendary Titi Kluter. Our time is uh, well flying by. Uh, it's just incredible how in these 45 minutes we can touch on so much. But it's interesting that here you've got the giant Kepler just in awe of the snowflake. And you've got the giant Titi Kluter, South African born, South African raised, proudly walked South African soils, was extremely proud of his Afrikaans heritage and who just brought great honor um, to us all. I just want to today really salute the uh, legendary Titi Kluter. Now, there is a book, Helner, you wanted to tell our listeners the title thereof so that they can go out and order this book. Um, yes, it's, um, it's a book of contemporary Afrikaans poetry in translation. Mm-hmm. The poems were selected from uh, volumes that appeared between 2005 and 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, the title is In a Burning Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the editor was Marlisa Hubert. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's a wonderful book. It's a thick book with the Afrikaans poem on one side and the English poem on the other side. And I think for especially for South African English-speaking mm. people, it would be a very good introduction to Afrikaans poetry. Mm. You know, Devet, in closing, you, of course, have followed my career in cosmic dust so much. And I just love the way Titi Tutor ends off this poem about him and me. He created an enormous glory from which, which from the soil to the dome can be accommodated within the smallest resonant cavity of my mouth. Um, doesn't that bring to fore much of the work we've done over the years of, you know, cosmic stardust and he made us from the dust of the earth? Yes, definitely. The, the, the greatest and the smallest. And I think mm-hmm. what's what's fascinating about that poem is the, both the transcendence and the imminence. Now that's beautiful. Be- because you read about God's feet excitedly, so the, the almost the personhood of God, and yet mm-hmm. the great majesty is um, the, on the largest scales, the, the transcendence. Mm-hmm. So it's once again awesome how he brings these together. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So I think that's a lovely note to end off with. We've been having the singular joy and pleasure of interviewing Professor Hailna Duploy um, from Parch, and it's just been an absolute honour. And to do this to my friend, even though I did, just wished I had known him even yet more, Titi Kluter, but Hailna had worked with him for a great number of years, and also David Ferreira, my dear friend from Pretoria. I think it's just awesome that here we can have a global live feed, a live global feed around the world honoring this giant of a man. If you're interested in any of his poetry, uh, some of it has been translated into English. If you read Afrikaans, of course, then it becomes a lot easier. Do buy the book in a burning sea, uh, edited or by Joubert. And I think that the, I think that the key thought to end on is this. 
God is not only transcendent over his creation, which means above and beyond his creation, but uh, I suppose in John chapter 1, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You sense his eminence. In other words, he comes out of space and time. As Chesterton said, Gloria in profundus Deo. Gloria in profundus Deo. That would be glory to God in the lowest. And I suppose that that would be a very fitting ending to probing the majestic mindset of a person whom I admire deeply, of a man who lived to the ripe old age of 91, of a man who inspired David Block to look up in awe and in wonder. Thank you so much to our studio guests. And until next week, this is Professor David Block, Looking Up in Wonder, signing out. CliffCentral.com It's back, the Botswana Annual International Music Festival. It's all happening on Saturday, the 5th of September, 2015, in Khaburuni. Featuring Mafikizolo, Kulichana, Japraza, Zeus, Charmer Girl, MMP Family, Eskimos, Crispin the Drummer, Lizibo, and many more, including me, Gareth Cliff. Get your tickets online at www.webtickets.co.bw. Join us. Let's go partying in Botswana, Saturday, the 5th of September, 2015. Make it a date. Don't be late. This is CliffCentral.com.